And I pray, Lord, that You would nurture that spirit of sonship, daughtership that Jay read about from Galatians. That You'd nurture and strengthen that in each one of us now as we open Your Word. Pray that in Your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's interesting, I'm, um, I'm seeing the Holy Spirit weave a common theme or strand this morning that was unplanned, uh, but that's the way that God often works. And I see that um, modeled, Tommy, in your, your beautiful, vulnerable, childlike prayer. Father, help. We need guidance. We need you. In the song, Lord, we need you. In Jay's reading of Galatians, we've been given a spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father, we're children. And then Joni's reading uh, all that the world, the flesh, our old nature, and the, the devil would try to tell us to discourage and drag down and yet what God says to us as His children. And it all really ties in to what I'm going to be preaching about this morning Because as we open to Luke chapter 6, 12 to 16, we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're going to see a model of what it looks like to live as a child of God in this short passage, model of dependence on a loving Father in heaven. So, who's got a page number? 1602. Thank you. Um, For those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we are making our way through the Gospel of Luke. And I'll say more about that in the sermon. But Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 12. Actually, let let me read the... Uh, Verse 11, so that we can remember where we left off. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, He called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The Word of God. I'm going to begin with a story. And you need to hear before I tell that story that Anne, Anne is my wife right here, that Anne told me to tell this story. And you'll know why in just a moment. Um, About three or four weeks ago, 
Anne and our four kids had a play date set up with family friends of ours, Jody, uh, Dykstra, and her four kids. And we only get to see them two, sometimes three times a year. So it's really a special treat when, when they get to see each other. The kids are all close to the same age. And so they were going to meet at the East Grand Rapids Library down by Reeds Lake. And um, Anne was just about to leave our house and she thought to herself, oh, uh, East Grand Rapids Library, yeah, right by Reeds Lake. I, I think I know where that is. Should I print off some directions or get an address? No, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know where that is. So, you know where this is going. <laughs> Out the door she goes and down to southeast Grand Rapids and she gets into the general vicinity. But then, oh, where is, where is that library? I thought it was on this street. And she drives all the way to the end of that street. No, I'm pretty sure it's on that street. And all the way to the other end of that street. And driving around southeast Grand Rapids. And she didn't stop to ask anybody for directions. You know, women have trouble with that. <laughs> um, she didn't stop to ask anyone for directions. And she didn't phone. She knows that I have a decent sense of direction. And she didn't phone to ask for directions. She just kept driving around and getting frustrated and driving around until finally an hour and a half of driving around southeast Grand Rapids, she finds the library and Jody and the kids. And they get to spend a whopping 25 minutes together before they have to part ways and go home. She told me to tell you this. Now, um, here's what I want you to hear. And what we're going to tease out this morning, not asking for guidance can bear really bad fruit. This isn't, this isn't so serious. It's an hour and a half lost with friends. But there are many, many, many places in our lives where we need guidance. And if we don't have or ask for or seek and receive that guidance, it can bear really bad fruit. And I'll list just a few, but you'll know more because you know your own lives. So, whether to take a certain job or to marry a certain person or to sign up for military service or not or to buy something or not or to how do I deal with this certain relationship? What's my approach to this conflict that I'm going through? How do I talk to my child about or my friend about? When should I retire? What Should I move to this place? Should I get involved in that relationship? Should I enter this business opportunity? Should I? Big decisions. And, and not, it's not just the big ones that matter. There are medium decisions and smaller decisions that all bear out consequences in our lives if we don't ask for and receive guidance from God as we go through decision-making process or through transitions. Well, when we meet or see Jesus in our text for this morning, He's in a process of transition. We've just watched Him be successively um, rejected at a deeper and a deeper level four times over. So, first we saw, who are you? Who are you to forgive sins? Why are you eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Why aren't you fasting like the Pharisees and their followers? 
Why are you eating grains and healing people on the Sabbath? And then we heard at the end of last week's text, we heard the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day, get furious and begin to discuss what they might do to Jesus. So, Jesus, we said three chapters ago, or we said and we saw, was anointed by the Holy Spirit, sent by God to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, to bind up broken hearts, to heal the sick, to drive out evil. John says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil, which is all pervasive. And yet Jesus ministry is being rejected by the very people that he's sent to. And so, what to do? What to do? And Luke says, Jesus goes up the mountain to pray. Now, the mountain in Scripture almost always denotes a place of meeting with God. And what Luke wants us to hear is that this is urgent. That that this matters. This has consequence. This is desperate. Jesus knows that he needs guidance in order for his ministry to carry forward. And how is it going to carry forward? Jesus knows his time is finite on earth. And so how is this ministry going to be reproduced? How is the kingdom of God going to come on earth? Now here's the amazing thing about Jesus going up the mountain to pray. It's that if anyone seems qualified to make a decision about how and who might join Jesus, it seems like Jesus would be the one who'd be qualified. Sinless. Holy. Righteous. Wise. Divine. And yet Jesus shows himself to be completely dependent on the guidance of God the Father. In John, Jesus says, I don't do anything except what I see my Father doing. And so here he goes up the mountain to say, Father, what are you doing? What are you going to do? And Jesus spends not 30 minutes, not 15 minutes, but 10 to 12 hours engaging God the Father in prayer. It says he goes up during the day and he spends the whole night in prayer. What that means is that this wasn't uh, a matter of Jesus simply asking God the Father, well, what do we do next? And, um, and getting a sense that he should uh, designate some people to act. Apostles means that He's designated them as as messengers, as personal representatives, and that he's entrusting them with his authority. That's what an apostle means. So it wasn't just a matter of Jesus saying, Father, what do we do do, um, next? And and Father says, well, you're um, going to have apostles and here's the 12 names. Boom, there's a download. Go. I don't think it happened like that. He spends 10 to 12 hours with his father. Praying, asking, listening, perhaps reading Scripture. And you've got to wonder, or at least speculate, that even as Jesus began to get a sense of who the Father was telling Him to appoint, that He might have had some questions. 
that perhaps he wondered about Peter's ability to open his mouth at just the wrong time. You know, perhaps, perhaps he looked at Peter's kind of act first and think later approach to life and, and thought, are you sure that you want me to you know, entrust him with authority to represent us? Or perhaps Jesus had already begun to perceive the greed that lived in Judas's heart and, and, and to wonder, Lord, generosity is a fruit of our spirit. Are we sure that we want this one to represent us and your kingdom? You know, just imagine that there was a... See, to question God is not sin. That's, that's working with Him. Seeking to understand. And, and I just imagine that Jesus seeks guidance and seeks to understand the guidance that's coming. I can kind of picture Him praying. He's got this whole group of followers. And that the Father is just kind of bringing faces before Him. That faces are coming up and He's asking, well, what about this one? What about that one? And as the Father highlights one and lifts him up, and Jesus thinks about that one, what do I see in that one that represents you? And what do I see that doesn't? And so maybe he sees James and John and thinks, oh, those two are always competing for, for first place. They're competing for, for power. And don't we, need, don't we need people to represent us that are humble and that are selfless? I imagine that as Jesus seeks God's guidance, that it's a dynamic process and, and that there's a coming, there's a hearing and a coming to understand what God the Father's saying. And as Jesus goes through that, what he does is he models, that's all two verses, right? You understand, I'm, I'm opening up and I'm kind of prayerfully speculating. It's not, scripture doesn't say that. But I think that, that we have the liberty to do that because of um, who Jesus is. And so what I, what, I wanted, what I want us to hear first and foremost and then take a step backwards is this. That the one person in all of Scripture that is, seems most suited to make these decisions on his own is the one who's showing himself to be totally dependent. And then here I want to zoom back. And I'd like to um, just, just come right out of the Gospel of Luke for a second and take us to Romans 5. In Romans 5, there's this beautiful, long passage that compares Adam, the first human being, with Jesus. And you can flip there if you want. I'm just going to spend a minute there. But I'll, I'm going to overview it for us. In Romans 5, that passage speaks of sin entering the creation through Adam and grace coming through Jesus. It speaks of Jesus as a second Adam, the beginning of a new creation or a new and renewed human family. And so in Adam, we see that our fellowship with God the Father is broken through an act of independence. Adam makes the choice to ignore, to disobey, to turn away from what? The guidance. The guidance of God the Father. So Adam eats. And the pattern of independence is initiated. That pattern of independence is what dominates human history from Adam forward. That pattern is what will invite immeasurable evil and painful consequence, not only into the world, but into our lives. Every 
time we act independently of God, we invite pain into our lives. That's the pattern of human history, independence, until Jesus. Until Jesus comes and not only at the cross reestablishes fellowship with God, but until Jesus, through his life and his ministry, establishes by way of showing us what it means to be a dependent child, a child, a child of a loving Father in heaven. And so Jesus' actions in today's text, actions which are a part of a larger pattern of his life, what they do is they invite us to consider whether and how much we're living like children of a loving Father in heaven. Now notice I'm not saying that they're inviting us to consider whether we are children of God. That's something that happens through faith in Jesus. But that his actions are inviting us to consider whether and how much we're living like children of a loving Father in heaven. I'm not speaking of obeying God's specific biblical commands like don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie. I'm speaking more specifically about asking for guidance from God our Father in decision making. So Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And I, and I think uh, so much of how we understand that verse depends on what you understand acknowledge to mean. Because sometimes we think that acknowledging God is merely praying, Lord, guide me into the right decision. So I prayed. And then I'm just going to trust that you're going to guide my steps. I prayed once, Lord, guide me, and I'm going to go make the decision. And I'm going to trust that whatever I decide, um, if, if multiple options seem according to your word, I'm going to trust that whatever one I decide is good. That's not acknowledging. Acknowledging is saying, God, I acknowledge that I don't have this answer. I'm not going to come up with it on my own, and I need it from you. Acknowledging is listening for God's clear guidance. Acknowledging means we need to learn to hear the voice of God that would respond to our prayers, that would respond to the questions that we lay before God. Acknowledging means that we involve ourselves in a dynamic process of engaging God for guidance. That we lay before God the decisions that we want to make the same way that Jesus laid before God the decision that he was faced with. How do I carry on my ministry? Who who do I impart this leadership to? And you know what the decisions are that you're facing. Acknowledging means asking God specific questions, seeking him, waiting on him until we're certain that we've heard from him. This can be as long as weeks or months, and it can be as short as a moment. Short as a moment. I want to tell you a story that illustrates um, both acknowledging, listening, and hearing from God and the radical um, difference that that can make in our lives. 
One of uh, my mentors and teachers is Brad Long. He's uh, also that for Pastor Gina and for Jay and for several others. We've done a lot of learning from him. And he uh, shared, when I was in South Korea last fall, and we were teaching the Chinese, he shared this story with them. It was especially pertinent because it took place in China about 20 years ago. Uh, just after the, ch- the um, churches had been able to reopen in China, but it's not legal for foreigners to be involved in the churches at all, in any way, shape, or form. He was preaching in a very, very large Chinese church, packed auditorium. And he was in the middle of a powerful sermon when all of a sudden he felt the Spirit of God lift off him. Now, let me say a word about that. The New Testament talks often about how the Spirit of God comes upon so-and-so and and anoints them to do such-and-such thing for the extension of the kingdom of God. Very common. Uh, God often does that uh, when he gives gifts so that his kingdom can go forward. And we always pray, even before we preach, Lord, anoint me with power so that your word goes out and bears fruit for your kingdom. And as preachers and teachers, we can feel that. We can feel God's Spirit upon us, empowering us to do His work. Well, Brad felt that Spirit lift. And what that feels like is all of a sudden you just feel this kind of uh, nakedness, this vulnerability, and like, uh, like, like a smallness. And so he felt the Spirit of God lift. And instead of carrying on in his preaching, what he did was he stopped. And internally he said, Lord, what are you doing? And what do you want me to do? And it was like, Right away, the Lord highlighted this young woman in the front row and said, invite her up to speak about her parents. Now, honoring your parents is a very Asian thing to do, so not uncomfortable at all. Brad stopped preaching. He said, young woman, would you please come up here and stand behind this podium and um, just speak for a few minutes about your parents and honor them. And so she came up and she started to speak. And the Holy Spirit whispered to Brad's heart, get down behind the pulpit. And so he got down behind the pulpit, and from his down low place, he was able to look through a hole in the pulpit. There was a hole there, and as he looked through that hole, the back doors of the church burst open, and a whole cadre of communist soldiers came in the door of the church, filled the back of the church, and started watching what was going on. The leader stood there for about two minutes, and then um, stopped the young woman who was speaking, and said, good job honoring your parents and being a good communist. Keep it up. And he walked out the building. Guidance saved Brad's life, and kept him out of jail. Guidance from God, saved that whole church from persecution. Guidance from God meant that when Brad got up to preach again, he had a rapt, attentive audience who wanted to know more about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit that he'd already been teaching on because they just saw a living demonstration of God's power to guide His people. I want to tell you something this morning. That type of guidance is not something that's only available to some certain people who, who maybe are like spiritual elites. God 
looks on all of his children with the same love, the same affection, the same desire to see fruitfulness in their lives, to build them up, to strengthen them, to encourage them, and to see them use their gifts in his service. As a loving Father in heaven, he invites us to grow in hearing his voice. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. We always come back there that our destiny as Christians is to be made like Jesus Christ. Jesus, this morning, models for us what it's like to be a child of God, dependent upon the ongoing guidance of God the Father. And so this morning, through Jesus and through this text in which Jesus is waiting upon God, we're being invited to ask, am I being more and more conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ? Am I learning to live in total dependence upon God the Father? And is God really guiding my life? He wants to. He wants to. But that will take a response from us. Whether and how much He's able to will take a response. It will take us saying, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, would you kindle within me that same childlike faith that lived in your son Jesus? God, would you give me the ears to hear like Jesus heard? God, would you put within me a fervent desire and a deep willingness to wait upon you, to seek you for the decisions of my life? God, would you give me the strength to turn off the TV and shut down the computer and, and give you priority? God longs to guide us even as he guided and Jesus. And this morning he invites us again deeper into dependence upon him as Father, loving Father. So I'm going to lead us into prayer and ask God to strengthen that willingness within us, but also to give us ears to hear. And for, I just want to encourage, very briefly, for those of you who are newer, Kuiper students, perhaps others, we spent a whole sermon series last summer on uh, how do we listen to God, how does He speak, and how do we discern. Discernment is very important in this. We don't assume everything's from God. Um, but God wants His children to be listening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible fruit that you have borne in our lives and in this congregation as we have waited upon you, as we've listened for your voice, as we've collectively discerned that together, as we've sought you. You've shown us how good and faithful you are and how much you long to guide our life together, but also our individual lives. God, we say to you this morning that we want to grow deeper yet. We want to grow into the dependence that Jesus models for us. So Lord, would you stir up in each of our hearts uh, a deeper faith to believe that you 
speak and that You communicate and that You have guidance just for us. To believe that You're such a good and loving Father in Heaven that You would you'd lift up that Scripture just for us. You'd, you'd, you'd have that person call just us. You'd, you'd move and orchestrate circumstances in just that such a way that we could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Indeed, you are answering our question. You are guiding our future. You're calling us into that work. You are bringing your healing to our heart. God, you're, you're personal, and you've, you've shown that to us in so many ways. I pray for each one here that we grow deeper and deeper in hearing and obeying you. And I pray that through that hearing and obeying, you would bear 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit for your kingdom, even as you bore that through 11 of the apostles who you called. Lord, that as they learned to hear your voice, they bore immeasurable fruit. And I thank you that we're no different from them. I thank you that uh, your word says to us, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do the things that I've been doing. Lord, thank you that you just work through ordinary people. Would you deepen our faith? Would you loosen our ears? Would you increase our hunger to know, hear, and obey you? As we, as we get ready to um, sing and prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper, one of the ways that as a church we want to live into this Dependency on the Lord is in the area of adult discipleship. And so um, many of us have had different kinds of discipleship. We've had different ways of learning and growing in understanding who Jesus is and who we are as sons and daughters. But for this context, for this place and time, the board has determined that rather than just make a decision, about what we should do about Bible studies or small groups or how the Lord would have us grow, um, that we would be called to a month of prayer, of demonstrating our dependency on the Lord, saying, Lord, you know the circumstances. You know the people. We praise God that we've got five new Christians in the last month that have accepted Christ. But we need to grow. And part of the way of growing is to... um, do the things that Jesus did, right? To, to bring healing to broken hearts and to release the captives and to grow in the knowledge of his word. And so um, we invite you, as a board, we invite each of you because we believe that you hear from the Lord. And so we're going to ask you to go to prayer for the next month. And as you pray, listen and see what the Lord would say about how might we become people who study the word and follow Jesus as disciples. And so um, we're going to spend time praying, and I'll send an email out, and there'll be an insert in the worship folder next week with some guidance on how to, as you pray, what ideas come. We'd like to invite you to, to send those in and let us as a board make some prayerful consideration of that input, okay? And so now um, we're going to sing... A song as we prepare. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, 
This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so the Lord Jesus called those disciples that his father had shown him, and they walked along and watched Jesus, and he taught them, he modeled, he helped enable them to go out and start to do the ministry. And he gave this teaching session to his disciples. And he said, you're going to partake of this bread and this juice, and you're going to remember my death. You're going to remember what I've done. And so it was with great thanks that he held up the bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. And he took the cup, and he poured it. And he said, This is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Lord, would you set apart and consecrate these elements? Would you meet us as we partake of this meal and remember, Jesus, that you paid it all? Lord, that you gave your life this beautiful demonstration of what love looks like to bring us back into this dependent relationship of being sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And so we partake of this today with great thanks and joy in the relationship that you've invited us into. Meet us here, we pray. Strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite the um, board members to come forward at this time. And for those of you that are guests, let me explain how we um, do this here. Uh, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're humbly walking, trying to walk in obedience with him, then we invite you to the table. If you are a child and you're visiting and um, you have not made a profession of faith yet, we invite you to come forward and we will bless you. Parents, I ask that you or uncles or grandparents, whomever might have a child, that you would explain that someday they'll be able to partake of this meal. But they're invited to come up with you. But it will be those that are adults that have partaken or have spoken their faith in Jesus that are invited to partake. We um, come forward and get the elements. We hold on to them until we've all been served, and then we'll take it together. Um, There is gluten-free. For those of you that maybe need gluten-free, just mention that. Amen. As you go to give God glory, receive this blessing from Him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of His Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. Friends, we have a potluck.